this series to a close. It makes me sad. I don't really want to leave this great letter behind. I feel like there's so much more to say from it, but there's also so much more of God's Word remaining for us to mine together, so we'll move on. But Paul wrote this letter to a mix of Gentile and Jewish Christians in the capital of the Roman Empire to proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That sinners like us are justified before God by means of a gift that is received through faith in Christ alone. Being made right with God has nothing to do with our works, not now, not ever, or to do with our nationality, but with the grace of God toward us in His Son, Jesus Christ. This message of the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus for us is the Gospel. And the Gospel is the power of God for salvation. The Gospel does not make bad people good. It makes dead people alive. Paul established humanity's universal objective guilt in chapters 1-3, through which shows why we're all born under the wrath of God and remain under it unless we receive Christ as both our forgiveness and our righteousness. This is true of both Jews and Gentiles. No exception, for Paul says, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So the need for the Gospel is the first thing Paul establishes why we need it so badly and are dead in the water without it. And then Paul sets out in chapters 4-6 through to prove from Old Testament Scripture how God has always justified people by grace through faith, completely apart from their works, that the law did not come in to make people righteous, but to to increase their transgressions that they might know for certain that they are sinners. And if God doesn't deliver them by His grace, they have no hope of being saved. This salvation is sure and certain for all who receive this Gospel. But Paul also makes clear that this new spiritual life begin in baptism in chapter 6 as he says there is lived inside these bodies of death in Romans 7. We carry both at the same time. So God gives His Holy Spirit to every recipient of Christ's work and He dwells in them, abiding and remaining with them, the Spirit, as an ongoing testimony to us that not only are we called to a new life in Christ, by the Spirit's power, but that nothing will now be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus for us in chapter 8. And so the plan of God from the beginning was not only to save the Jews by grace through faith, but to also gather in Gentile sinners so that all Israel, that Paul reveals to be the true people of God throughout all time, because they are those of faith, would be saved in chapters 9-11. through His promises do not fail. His word is certain. And having established the gospel and its power in chapters 12 through 14, this plan of God has as its goal in us new creation, where our lives are transformed from living for ourselves and our flesh to new lives of worship every day as we become living sacrifices in our vocations and stations in our lives. God means to transform us all into the spitting image of His Son to become a gracious and welcoming people who bear with one another and glorify God together with one heart and one voice so that God's heart to bring salvation to people of every nation, His heart from all eternity in creation will be proclaimed to the whole world in chapter 15. That brings us to the close of this great letter to the Romans which was also written to Moundsville by way of this same Holy Spirit of God. We too, you and I, these faces, these names, 
are meant to join with the church universal from all time and from every nation to say amen to all that God has done for us in Christ and all that He plans to do for the world in Christ. This Gospel is everything. It's everything. And the intended result of the One who accomplished it and gave it is the salvation of everyone to the praise of His glorious grace. The Creator and Sustainer of heaven and earth is also the architect and designer of salvation for sinners. This Gospel is what we believe. This Christ is who we confess as Lord and Savior. In Him, in Christ, God revealed that for all time, past, present, and future, the deepest desire of His divine heart is to save His enemies, that they may glorify Him and His gracious rest they receive for all eternity. Paul wrote that we might glorify God together and give our amen to this Gospel along with the rest of history. Let me pray. Father, thank You for this Word to us in Romans. We thank You for Your provision of it. We'd be dead without what You revealed to us here. God, I pray that as we close this letter down, as we leave it behind us this morning for now, that You would keep it in our hearts by Your grace. Lord, help me preach this morning that all may hear and believe these words, O oh God. And would You be with all that hear? that they may indeed ask and pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Beginning in verse 21 of chapter 16, he writes, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greets you. Now, these verses are separate from the message of the epistle itself. We're finally in that actual closing. The instructions to relay greetings there in his closing, they've already been given in verses 3 through 16. The benediction at the end of verse 20 was the closing of the body of the letter and its message. But these verses now, they provide us what is actually some very helpful information about the associations of Paul and the situation he was in in his life at the time of writing Romans. What they establish is first of all, that Paul had an amunoensis named Tersus, to whom he dictated this letter and others. Amunoensis is somebody who writes words down that somebody is dictating to them. And so this is how Paul wrote a lot of his letters. And those uh, who these verses list, this is associates in ministry who were present with Paul, help us understand, okay, Paul was in Corinth when he wrote Romans, and he's probably at the end of his three-month stay there that's mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verses 2 through 3. That's extremely significant because it means Paul wrote this all in a time of significant personal danger, which he was almost always in. While he was preparing to depart for Jerusalem with his associates to bring the collection he spoke of earlier in chapter 15. Everything about Paul is about the Gospel. The man is consumed with it. He's drenched in it. He's his life is on the line, and he writes a 16-chapter, what we have, as 16 chapters, a letter to the church in Rome to tie all these things together because he's heard of some issues they have there. So he wants to address those things. He wants to solidify the power of the Gospel. He wants to recruit their help also in his ongoing missionary work to Spain and his benevolent work in Jerusalem. Everything for him is about the Gospel. It dictates his life. Pick it up in verse 25 then. 
Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Only in the book of Romans is there a concluding doxology uh, after the song of worship here, after Paul's closing greetings and his benediction. This is the only place in Paul's letters that happens that he picks it back up. Some commentators even believe that verses 25 to 27 were a later addition of Paul's words. They're still Paul's words, but many think they were added in later so that whenever and wherever the church read Paul's doxology upon reading Romans would confess this with him in praise to God our Father. It's a song of praise for everything that's been said in Romans. They are certainly Paul's words, even if they were added in later. I don't know if they were or not, or if they're part of the original body of the letter, but one of the reasons we know they're Paul's words is because this doxology mirrors the pattern of his opening very strategically back in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, where Paul identified himself, which led to the proclamation of the gospel which was then characterized as that which is concerning God's Son, Jesus Christ, in His promises in the Scriptures. And then Paul determined to know, or, or um, following from that, as you read that, remember some other things Paul has said. Paul determined to know nothing among the peoples and places to which he went and wrote and spoke except Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. Why such exclusivity? Why such singularity for Paul? comes out in his praise to God for what this letter has revealed about Jesus from the Holy Spirit. He says, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ in verse 25. Now, Paul is gearing us up to shout amen to God. And the first reason we give not just our voices, but our whole lives as an amen to the Father is because he is able to strengthen us according to Paul's gospel. Paul's gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was God's designated pioneer of its proclamation to the Gentile world. Isn't this an interesting thing to consider? That we are strengthened by the gospel. The gospel is not for the Christian life, right? It's not for daily strength. That's odd to say. The gospel is just the close of the deal. You preach the gospel to lost people. Right? Why, why is he so intent on proclaiming the gospel to Christians? They've already gotten it. right? Because we think that receiving it means we've gotten it. That we understand it. But the, you, know, you, you, you use the gospel to get people to pray the prayer. Once that transaction is finished, you move on to the real stuff of faith and obedience and the Bible and all that. That's what will strengthen us. right? That's how we get strengthened in our walk with Christ. We get better. We improve. The means by which we're saved are not the means by which we're strengthened, Paul. That's two different things. No, they're not. No, they're not. Knowing Scripture as the proclamation of God's promise will strengthen us as we come to know it more and better. But that's because the Bible is not a roadmap for life. That's not how it strengthens us. 
it's a pretty poor source of strength if that's what it is. Because we spend most of our days not knowing exactly what we should do. And the Bible is not very specific for the issues that we tend to face on a day-to-day basis. The reason this knowing the Scripture and God's promise will strengthen us as we come to know it more and know it better is because the purpose and content of Scripture is nothing less than the proclamation of Christ for us in the Gospel. We aren't just saved at one point in our past by Jesus living and dying for us by the Gospel. We're strengthened by the living and dying and rising of Jesus for us in the Gospel. He will always be the source of our strength as who He is for us in the Gospel. This is how God gives us strength for the road. By reminding us that His Son has already traveled it for us. That it is finished for us. He is our forgiveness. He is our righteousness. He is our salvation. Let God's grace be the source from which we always draw all of our strength. Don't look inside and try to find in you this desire to become what God wants you to be and then hone it and work on it. The Spirit's already doing that in His time and in His own way. We find strength in what God did for us in Christ, not what we do for God through Christ. That is not the source of our strength. Christianity is not about becoming increasingly stronger in ourselves, but about becoming increasingly confident in Christ for us. In fact, preaching is for this purpose also in verse 25. Our strength, the preaching of Jesus Christ brings us strength. I had someone say to me once in California that they appreciated the preaching of Christ. Well, that's nice. I'm glad that you appreciate Jesus from time to time. But felt the Bible had so much more to say that would help us than the stuff about Jesus. After all, the Bible gives us helpful historical information and so forth. And sure, it, it does do all that, right? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for the man of God to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But why is that? Because all Scripture reveals Christ. That's why every page of it and word of it and verse of it is profitable for us. And for the preacher. You remember what Jesus said, right? In John 5.39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. Let that sink in. Some of us keep searching the Scriptures for life. The Scriptures are only life to the degree that they point us to Christ. See, Jesus isn't the key to life. Jesus is life. To have Him is to have everything we need for the road. The goal of life is to know Christ. The goal of existing is to know Christ. Hear Jesus praying in John 17. Go back there when you have time. Read the what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Read it. John 17. Get it in your head. Know that that's what He prayed for His disciples and for you. That they may know you. This is life. That they may know you. The only true God and Jesus, your Son whom you have sent. That's life. That's eternal life. We're trying to use Jesus to find life. He is the life. That's different 
when I know Him, when I have Him, I'm right where I need to be. I have life. I'm good. To the extent that Christ is lifted up in preaching, His people will find their strength. If, if, if you're trying to get something other than what Jesus came to give you, which is Himself, if you're trying to get that from Jesus, then the preaching of Jesus will seem mundane and burdensome to you because you're waiting for something more. And Christ says, why are you doing that? You search all this because you think that this will somehow provide for you this secret path to like the victorious life and make life worth living. And it's all Christ. It's all Christ. We'll find our strength in Christ, not just because He gives it, but because the stronger He is to us, the weaker we finally discover we are. And it is only there that we'll stop this delusional fantasy that tells us we have it within us to do right and to find life if you would just give us the right push. It's a delusion, beloved. God could literally give you over 600 laws to guide your every step, morally, civilly, ceremonially, however you want to divide it up, and you would still become an idolater. This is what Paul has said all through Romans. Listen, the law came in to increase the trespass. It is God's standard. It is righteous and good and holy and perfect and beautiful. Therefore, those of you born in sin that have been given over to your desires, you can't follow it. Therefore, life won't be found in your obedience. Life is found in knowing Christ. We're dead in the water if Jesus isn't breathing for us. The proclamation of Christ has power to give strength. You see, you see what God has done for you, beloved? You see where all the strength that you need and all the identity you need and all the hope that you need and all the confidence you need and the assurance you need is all outside of you, provided for you on a platter by Christ? Just receive it. Just receive it. You and I aren't doing anything to get strong here. In 1625, we don't receive strength because we appropriate Jesus, but because Jesus is present for us in the proclamation of His Word. Just come and sit under the Word to the degree that it preaches Christ. If I'm not doing that, I'm failing you. See what? We just keep receiving, beloved. We just keep receiving. We never become God's benefactor, ever. He is not served by human hands as though He needed anything. But He Himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. What started out as a gift never stops being a gift. Become a beneficiary before God. It is there. It's only there as empty-handed receivers that we'll see just how powerful the person and work of Christ are for us in this Gospel we proclaim. It's, it's sometimes it bounces off our ears because we're wanting to, our, our ears are itching to hear something else. And so what God has given bounces off. Or it's like, yeah, I, I know that. I know that. I know that. Surely that can't give me strength. I need you, I need you to do this to give me strength. I need to hear this to get strength. And no, we need Christ. Notice where Paul is giving all the credit here. What the source of everything is here in these last verses. For you. For you. 
So verse 25 tells us God is able to strengthen us according to the gospel and the preaching of Christ. And then according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. In other words, not only is the gospel being made known in the person and work of Christ, it was it is also now being made known in the past in the prophetic writings of the Old Testament. Because what they were talking about has come. The gospel has always been the content of God's revelation to man. It was concealed in the prophets, but it was there. Jesus was still there. And now that it's been revealed in the person and work of Jesus, now we know how to read the prophets. You, 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 listen, you, you've got to get it out of your thinking that even though Jesus said no man knows the day nor the hour, and that it is God's glory to conceal a matter, that somehow all the prophets were given that if you're smart enough and diligent enough, you'll crack the code of the end times and you'll figure everything out and you'll be able to narrow the return of Jesus down to roughly within a thousand to eighty to a hundred to fifty years ago. If you just keep like like I'm sure there's a secret code in there in that sentence and that this and we like how long are we going to do that before we question ourselves? How long are we going to say, no, this thing happening in the Middle East, this one, this is it. This is the big one. Yeah, how many, how many times have we done that? That's not what the prophetic writings are for. They contain many things about the end, but that's not what they're for. That's what they are. What they are for, Paul says, now that Christ has come, now they too are revealing Him. He's the main thing. He's always the main thing for the people of God. Always. The gospel for all nations has been God's plan from the creation of Adam to the rising up of Israel to be His earthly vessel to bring this Jesus into the world to the ministry of the apostles down to the present day of the ministry of the church. That's important. This is important particularly in the context in this context for these struggling Jewish Christians who were uh, were truly struggling to understand not just the place of the Gentiles in God's plan, but because of that, their own place in God's plan. God, if, 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 if it's been your plan, as Paul is saying, to draft the Gentiles in all along so that there would be one people, and that's the true Israel, all of which will be saved, what is our place here? What... What do we do with the law now? What do we do with our identity? So they're struggling to understand how, or would have been struggling to understand how all of this comes together. But the revelation of God that has come to light only in the Gospel of Jesus Christ that reveals God's plan from eternity was to graft the Gentiles into His one people and that these redeemed Gentiles and redeemed, redeemed Jews constitute the true seed of Abraham, which means they were the true Israel all along to whom God actually made His saving promises and will most certainly keep every single last one of them, that's not a hindrance to faith and hope and confidence in God. Those things are the very means of faith and hope and confidence in God, Paul is saying. Paul is telling them, when you go back now and read your Old Testament, Christ is on every page. Even the prophetic writings proclaim Christ as Savior to the nations. 
God's revelation of the fullness of His plan in Christ. That throughout history until He came was hidden and had not been made clear, but had now been through Paul as His apostle, this is not a reason to doubt God's promises, but to realize just how irrevocably committed He is to keeping His promises. That now you see all revelation converge. Say, oh, okay, this is what God was doing and saying the whole time. We just, until the Spirit came and Paul, as God's vessel, explains it to us and Jesus explains it to us, opening our hearts to understand the Scriptures as He did for His disciples in Luke 24. We couldn't see it before, but now we do. What God was saying, but keeping hidden in all the writings of all the prophets, every speaker He ever ordained to speak in the Old Testament prior to the coming of Christ was testifying to Christ. And it's Paul. This is Paul's role who is sent by God to reveal the prophetic writings as testimonies to Christ. So we don't change our view of Paul to fit a prior view we had of Israel before we get to Paul in Scripture. We change our view of Israel to align with what Paul tells us about them. Paul is God's vessel to explain the Old Testament to us. To interpret Israel in the Old Testament without Paul, without the apostles, is to do it with one eye covered and one hand tied behind our backs. We need to see the Scripture as one united testimony about Christ for our strength, beloved. Don't discount or make light of the connection there is between what we believe about the Bible and what it's saying and our own strength and hope and faith and confidence. Anytime there's strength and hope and confidence and joy lacking when it comes to the things of Christ, the issue will be in our belief system. All the time. And beloved, here's why now that God has made His whole plan known and gone public, here's why that's to strengthen those dear brothers and sisters in Rome and us here in Mountville. Paul tells you why. This was all by God's command. Command. So it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a fix-up of a different plan or an interruption to the real plan or something. It is the real plan. The Gospel. In verse 26, the eternal God commanded that this plan to bring salvation for the whole world in Christ that He had been concealing but had now revealed would go public to all nations for this purpose. To bring about the obedience of faith. Why did God create the world with a plan to save it? Why did God conceal this plan for ages? And then all at once, by the preaching of Jesus from all Scripture, once He's been revealed, to be its content and fulfillment, reveal it. Why? Why has God done all of this? Why did He create? Why is this plan in place to create faith in His enemies, beloved? To save sinners. This is the way God has designed salvation to come to us. We can get stuck sometimes thinking Jesus is fighting what looks like a losing battle with the devil for the destiny of man's souls. But God hid the means of salvation in the proclamation of the Gospel. Not in the reception of the Gospel. Right? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of Christ. Romans 10.17 The church is not responsible for the results or the victory of the preaching of the Gospel. 
The church on earth throughout history is God's redeemed mouthpiece to proclaim the word that saves just by being proclaimed. God is going to win, beloved. He's going to win. The preaching of Christ is not one way to preach. It's not one of many things a preacher can choose to preach about, like the Bible just this grab bag of chicken soup for the soul. No, we preach Christ crucified, who alone can save the most moral and the most vile among us, for both need the gospel. We preach Christ then from the law and from the prophets. We preach Christ then from the Psalms and from all the writings. We preach Christ from every page of Scripture because that's where God said He is revealed to us in these days. And then we trust Christ for us in the Word to do His strengthening work, which includes, of course, the power of God to raise the dead to new life. Now, Paul picks it back up from verse 25 down here in verse 27. Now, to him, that's what he was trying to say. But he got caught up again by way of the Spirit. Now, to him, the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. See, all this is the proclamation of God's wisdom. How wise he is. How amazingly he puts together this plan and design and then carries it out. The Word will bring about the obedience of faith everywhere it's proclaimed. That's its power. Because Christ is in it. Such is the power of God's life-giving Word. That's what He shows us in real time when He raises Lazarus from the dead. That was the whole point. In John 10, He said all these things about how His sheep hear His voice and they know Him and they follow Him. And when He calls to them, they come to Him. And He has other sheep that are not of this fold. He must bring them also. And so He'll call them too so there will be one flock and one shepherd. That's what Paul is picking up on in part when talking about all Israel. That there's one flock, one shepherd for Christ. And then in John 11, what does Jesus do? He proves the power of His voice. That when He speaks, where the Word of Jesus is present, it is life-giving. Lazarus, my sheep by name, Come forth, calls them out. What does Lazarus do? I don't, I don't really want to come out right now. I stink. It's embarrassing. I've been in here four days. No, he comes hobbling out. Because the word of Jesus speaking gave him life. He was literally dead. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. an amazing thing, the power of the Word of the Gospel, the life-giving power of God's Word, the power of God for salvation. That's how powerful it is to everyone who believes, no matter who or what you are. Amen. To Him, this Creator, this Designer, this Architect, this Savior, this Father, this Redeemer, this Word, to Him, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. You see that God chose not to reveal Himself to us fully by any other means but in person. And that person has a name, Jesus Christ. And He said, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. Paul says that in the body of Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. God created heaven and earth with this Word. 
and then he moved it with the same creating word. And do you know why God commands all these things to happen? To bring you to life. That's why. To bring you to life. You. Your face. Your name. You. That's why. Because you rebelled against him. And somehow his first inclination is not to destroy you but to send out His own Son to rescue you. Why do we love Him? Why do we worship Him? Why do we sing these songs about Him? Why do we gather here? Why are we Christian? Because He is our salvation. Because He is the truth that sets us free. Because He is life. Receive Him. He is for you. Amen. Would you stand, please?